This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, very good afternoon, everyone. Thank you all for coming. Um, I'm sure for many of you, just like me, the phrase that makes up our, ta- our title, Our Father which art in heaven, it makes you immediately think, doesn't it, of, of the Lord's Prayer contained in Matthew and Luke's Gospel in the New Testament of our Bibles, which we've just looked at in our opening reading. I know for me, when I first started uh, infant school way back in the in the West Country, way back in the 1980s, uh, we were taught the Lord's Prayer by the headmaster at infant school. Uh, do you remember the old OHP? It used to go up and we'd all have to recite it and we, and we learnt it that way, doing it every day at the end of most assemblies. And it's interesting, isn't it, how these memories stick with you because even now when I was sat over there as we were reading it together, I can still smell the, the smell of the wooden parquet flooring that used to sit cross-legged on and feel the the numb backside where you've been sat there for a while still conjures up those thoughts, although I think it would take me the whole of assembly to get down to sit cross-legged uh, these days. And I'm sure many of us here have similar memories of learning the Lord's Prayer as a child in school. It's perhaps a, a bit of a sad indicator of the society that we live in, that uh, I've only heard one prayer given in any of the schools I've worked in in the last 22 years. But I suppose that's another subject about the society in which we live. But the Lord's Prayer that we've looked at together in Luke 11, just like all the words uttered by the Lord Jesus Christ, is is perfectly conceived. It's, It's an entirely usable prayer, isn't it? It's appropriate for all disciples in in all situations if you look at it but even though we know the words do we ever really consider them in any depth especially the the opening line where we the giver of the prayer acknowledge that the lord god is is our father have we really thought about the background to this title of our father or thought how it's used in the bible Other than perhaps through sad circumstances, nearly all of us have a picture built on experience of, of what it is to, to have a father or to be a father to somebody else. Not all of us may have had a good experience, but we know in our hearts what we wanted from our earthly father. And we know what a gap it leaves in our lives when our father is perhaps no longer around. I'm very fortunate I, I get to share a house with, with my mum and dad and even though I'm 43 and I've got a family of my own I, I appreciate having my dad around perhaps more now than ever before because fathers are important aren't they? They have a unique role. And so together this afternoon we're going to try and use our Bibles to understand how significant it is to have the Lord God as our Father, to try and understand a bit more of his, his love and his care for us, and, and at times, his correction, his chastisement of us. 
And then to, to finish our thoughts, I'd like us to come back to the Lord's Prayer once again to conclude. Well, the Lord God is described as Father in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible, but in quite different ways if you go in and look at it. In the Old Testament, he is presented as Father, firstly to those who, we're told, walked with God, and later as Father to the nation of Israel. And then prophetically, we're told in the Old Testament that he is Father of the Messiah who was to come. Whereas in the New Testament, he is mainly shown as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Messiah who had come. And through Jesus, as Father of individual believers, regardless of, of nationality. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, we find the Apostle Paul uh, in Greece, and he's preaching to the worshippers of the false gods that he's come across as he's wandering around in Athens. And he quotes to them one of their own Greek poets, who said of the Creator, we are his offspring, we are his offspring. And this was to stress to those uh, misguided worshippers that that it is God, not, not some idol, but it is the Lord God who has created all of mankind. In fact, the book of Genesis, right at the start of our Bibles, commences, doesn't it, with a description of creation. But then it goes on from creation to record, sadly, man's rejection of his creator. We read, don't we, of Adam and Eve sinning in the Garden of Eden. And from that point on, two very different lines of descendants start to emerge. On the one hand, we have the ungodly seed of Cain, who we'll know from our Sunday school lessons was the first murderer. But on the other hand, we have the, the godly line through Seth, who replaced righteous Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Open your Bibles and come to Genesis chapter 4. There's, there's a lot of information that's very useful for us in Genesis chapter 4. We'll see there the difference between these two lines. And we'll see it in the things that they say and the actions that they do. And it's interesting that these differences have existed ever since. In fact, John's words in his first epistle sum it up for us, I suppose, very briefly... He talks about the pride of life, which is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we're going to see that together in Genesis chapter 4. Let's look at it first of all. Let's read verse 16 and verse 17 of Genesis 4. It says there, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. <coughs> so following the, the murder of his brother Abel, Cain turns his back on his creator. We read there, went out from the presence of the Lord. He finds himself a wife. He has a son and he puts his efforts into building a city and he names that city after his own offspring all these things that we've just talked about Cain has done in his own mind in his own power he has created these things 
However, in direct contrast, we'll see the other line coming from Adam through Seth goes in a very different direction. Look at verse 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So they called upon the name of the Lord. They kept God central to their lives. They kept him involved in the decisions that they made, in the direction their life was going. And they gave him glory and they worshipped him. Very different to what we've just seen from Cain and his descendants. In the New Testament, in the letter to the Romans, Paul promises, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why do we think? Well, in verse 10 he says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So these descendants of Seth, back in Genesis chapter 4, were believers. They were righteous. They were trying to do the right thing in God's eyes. To use the words from Hebrews 11, they were looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Not necessarily looking to build a city for themselves. And their belief shows itself in trust. They trusted in God. And they were the true sons and daughters of God. Not trusting in the permanence of their own work like Cain was. But in God's provision for their future. And indeed the faithful today still have to trust in God's present care. We have to believe that he is looking after us. That he is in control of the things we see in the world around us. But sadly, so much of the world follows in Cain's footsteps instead, doesn't it? In fact, back in Genesis 4, if we read on, we see there that God has promised Cain in verse 15 that he would protect Cain against any Avengers, anybody who wanted to kill him because of his murder of his brother. But instead, as we read on, we see Cain's descendants, Lamech, preferred to rely on weapons that they have created. And indeed, they take revenge, we see in verse 23, for actions that have happened. But the Bible, God's word, is very clear. Believers must not seek revenge when they are wrong, but they have to leave revenge to God. Romans 12 verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But Cain and his family weren't going in that direction. Were they? <coughs> They'd gone out from the presence of the Lord, as we read. But if we allow him, just like an earthly father, the Lord God will defend. He will protect his children. He will fight our battles for us if we have faith, if we are prepared to put our lives in his hands. Well, back in Genesis, when the sons of God married the daughters of men, well, unfortunately, the world rapidly became godless. It became a violent and dangerous place to be. And in fact, only Noah and his family walked with God. And we know, don't we, through the flood they were saved by water. 
waters of the flood being symbolic of the waters of baptism and again the apostle peter picks up on this in first peter 3 verse 21 he says the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us the answer of a good conscience towards god because friends this has always been the basis for god's fatherhood to those who, like Noah, choose to believe in him, choose to allow him into their life. If we are faithful and obedient to his instructions, then we can have the honour of calling the Lord God our Father. Turn over in your Bibles to the New Testament with me and come to the first epistle of John, towards the back end of your Bible in chapter 3. And let's read together some words that the apostle was inspired to write. John chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So just like God's chosen people, the people of Israel, we too can be called sons and daughters of the Almighty if we allow him into our lives. It's our choice. John also shows us that we have to remain separate from the world, to distance ourselves from those who don't want to know God. Turn back to chapter 2. Let's read verse 15 to verse 17. Love not the world, we're told, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. <coughs> the man Abraham from the Old Testament is often shown as an example of Faith. In fact, he's quoted very often in the New Testament as a good example of faith. His faith resulted in an obedience to God's commands. Abraham did exactly as we've just talked about. He separated himself from the worldly ways and the ambitions. Abraham was always prepared to put his life on hold when his heavenly father asked him to do something. Abraham was in turn the father of another line of the sons of God. Come over to Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians chapter 3, because God tells us there that if we follow Abraham's example, we too can be counted as his children. Galatians 3 verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same 
are the children of Abraham. And the chapter goes on in verse 26 to verse 29 to explain that by faith in God's promises to Abraham and by making the decision to be baptised into the Lord Jesus Christ, we can become the children of God. We can be heirs, if you like, partakers in that in those wonderful promises that God made to Abraham. Let's have a look at verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise heirs according to the promise and this friends is the only way that God will become our father and we can be blessed as his children in Old Testament times only Abraham's natural descendants the the Jews were known as Abraham's seed even now they refer to him as father Abraham indeed the whole nation at times was regarded by God as his own son. We learn from Exodus chapter 4 verse 22. When God demands of Pharaoh, what does he say? Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Let my son go, that he may serve me. Israel are God's chosen people, his children. And this is reaffirmed in God's words through Hosea. Let's come over, if you would, to Hosea. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. This harks back to what we've just talked about those times with Pharaoh. However, instead of serving God as their father, the nation of Israel, after their deliverance, and after many years of God's fatherly care, well, they're getting it wrong. And God <coughs> has to denounce them for serving other gods. Let's read on, verse 2. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refused to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities, and shall consume his branches and devour them, because of their own counsels. And my people, says God, are bent to backsliding from me. Though they be called them, though they called them to the most high, none at all would exalt him. His children, the nation of Israel, turned their back on him. But God didn't forget them. God provided another son, foreshadowed in Hosea 11 that we've just read, 
who is identified in Matthew chapter 2 and 15, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus, unlike the children of Israel, would not fail in his loyalty, would not turn aside in his service, but would finish the work that his father gave him to do. That work is summed up for us in Hebrews chapter 2. Let me just read you two verses from Hebrews 2, verse 10 to 12. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Friends, it's only through the Lord Jesus that God can become our Father. Because God has provided him, not only as our Saviour, but as our example. The one that we should copy in the way that we live our lives. Romans 8 and verse 29 states that we must be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren so we have to base our sonship our daughtership on the example the supreme example of the Lord Jesus and I think it's interesting to note the very first verse if you think about it in the New Testament highlights for us immediately the the relationship between the Lord Jesus and his ancestor Abraham that we've already thought about. And it points us to look at the contrast between Abraham's two seeds. First his natural seed, the nation of Israel, and his spiritual seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, many of the experiences that the nation of Israel went through were echoed in the life of the Lord Jesus. Except, of course, that where the children of Israel failed, the Lord Jesus remained faithful to his heavenly Father. If you think about it, both the children of Israel and the Lord Jesus went down into Egypt. The children of Israel, due to famine, the Lord Jesus sent his family to escape Herod's massacre. But the Bible tells us that both parties were called out of Egypt once again to enter the promised land. We think about the children of Israel passing through the Red Sea before their wanderings in the wilderness and then entering the land. And of course the Lord Jesus in type was similar. He was baptised. He passed through the waters of the river Jordan being baptised by John before he too went into the wilderness. Not to wander about but to be tempted and to begin his ministry the apostle Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 10 unlike of course the nation of Israel Jesus arose from the waters of baptism and a voice from heaven declared this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased but Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5 to say of the nation of Israel, but with many of them God was not well pleased. For they were 
overthrown in the wilderness. Complete contrast to the Lord Jesus. And Paul warns us not to follow their example. He says in verse 6, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So friends, the Bible is clear. We must follow the example that the Lord Jesus set. Think about the challenges that he met on his temptations in the wilderness. The same temptations that the nation of Israel failed. You'll remember that the Lord Jesus said during his first temptation, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Well, where did those words come from? Well, of course, they were initially spoken to the children of Israel, weren't they? When they grumbled and were given manna. Think about his second temptation. Jesus resisted it by quoting, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, where did those words come from? Well, they were words used by Moses, weren't they? To remind the children of Israel that they had murmured against God when they, were, when they doubted his provision of water at Meribah. Think about Christ's third temptation. What does he say? Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You know where those words come from. <coughs> A clear instruction given to Israel before they entered into the promised land. And it harks back, doesn't it, to the time when Moses delivered them God's Ten Commandments on tablets of stone, only to find them worshipping a golden calf in idolatry. So as we've seen briefly, Jesus took the principles and applied them in his life. The same principles that underlied the law that God committed to the nation when he called them out of Egypt. And it's these same principles that we thought about that Jesus taught his followers in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6 and chapter 7 to be obeyed. Why? So that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. So both the Old and the New Testament set out the purpose of God. They explain his promises which we must believe in if we are to enjoy <coughs> a part in future blessings but we must pay attention to what God expects of his children now as well we have to appreciate how richly we are blessed we have to appreciate what being members of his family entails and to understand that it comes with a responsibility too it's vital that we take time to to read God's word in the Bible, to understand what he expects of us, to heed the lessons that are recorded there for our learning. And of course, to be God's children in whom God is well pleased. Well, before we, just before we go back to the Lord's Prayer to pull things to conclusion, let's just read some wonderful words in the letter to the Ephesians, if you would, please, because I think in some ways... It, it sums up a lot of what we've just talked about and it emphasises for us the, the rich blessings that are afforded to us if we make a decision to commit our lives to serving God. Come to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 to verse 10. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are which are on the earth, even in him. Just flick over a couple of pages to chapter 5 and the first two verses of Ephesians 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as, what? As dear children. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for our sweet smelling savour. Friends, we have the opportunity to call God our Father. We have the opportunity to be his children if we so choose. But it comes with responsibilities. And that leads us back to look at the Lord's Prayer, I think, once again. Let's go back to it, but let's this time read the, the version in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. It's an interesting comparison just to finish. So it's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to verse 13. <coughs> so again, we've got the disciples asking Jesus how to pray. And he says in verse 9, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So friends, as we've seen, as we've gone through our talk, on offer to us is a part in the, the rich and the glorious promises made to the children of Israel by the Lord God to their father Abraham. And if we just grasp the opportunity that we've been given to, to read God's word to repent of our sins, to follow the Lord Jesus through the waters of baptism, and to try and live a life following his examples, then our Father has said that indeed it's his good pleasure to give us a place in his promised kingdom. That kingdom that was prophesied right from creation where we started. And so he can be our Father. We can have the privilege of calling him that in humility, and this simple prayer that we've just read together makes it clear right from the very start. Our Father. 
One of the things that's so wonderful about Jesus' words is the clear reminder that with that privilege of calling him our Father comes a great responsibility. A responsibility to be humble and to understand that it's only through God's grace and his mercy that we can be acceptable. Yes, as we repeat that prayer in the opening line, we do. We address him as our Father. We can be amongst those blessed children with all the benefits that it affords of having the Lord God as our Father. However, if you look carefully in the very next words of the prayer, it's interesting, isn't it, that we are cut down in our estimations of ourselves, aren't we? Next up, we pray for his kingdom to come. So not so much about being sons and daughters, but now we are subjects, aren't we, in his kingdom. We've come down a level haven't we still richly blessed we are in the kingdom aren't we but not deserving of the majesty or the glory that comes with being sons and daughters of the king next up we pray that his will might be done again we're humbled another level aren't we if we carry out his will as we pledged that we will do when we say those words we're no longer subjects in the kingdom we are Servants, aren't we? Carrying out his will. We've come down another level. We're in bondage to a master. We are relying on his good will to sustain us, aren't we? But the prayer continues. Give us this day our daily bread. <coughs> Friends, we're reminded, aren't we, that actually we are no better than beggars pleading for sustenance. We have nothing of our own. We've come down another level, haven't we? The continues. Forgive us our debts. Friends, we are worse than beggars, in fact, because it's not we don't have nothing. We are debtors. We owe others. We can't repay. And we have to rely on our Father's goodwill to cover those things that we owe. Luke in his version says forgive us our sins worse than debtors we are in fact sinners we have done the opposite of what our loving father has asked us to do as his children verse 13 reminds us that we are weak sinners we don't try hard enough we give in to temptation so easily but then comes the understanding, of course, that we need God's help to deliver us from evil. We start the prayer as sons and daughters. We're nearly at the end of the prayer. We are now sinners. We understand where we fit in, where our place actually is. But finally comes the supplication before the salvation. The acknowledgement for Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Friends, we know that through the willing sacrifice of his only begotten Son, the Lord God has indeed cleared a route for us as sinful men and women to return to him, to become those sons and daughters. But we have to be repentant. We have to recognize that our rich blessings are gifts from our Heavenly Father to his children. 
And when we choose to do those things that please ourselves instead of doing the things that please him, it makes that painful sacrifice of giving his only begotten son of non-effect. And so yes, we can be his sons and his daughters. But we have to remember everything we have comes from him. And so let our daily prayer also be like that other son. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Forgive me, we pray. Amen to that, friends. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.